Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, and pop culture. Because in the end, everything is an ad, especially this week because it's our Ads of the Year episode. Look forward to this all year where we get to nerd out about which ads, stunts, activations, campaigns, weird, random social media responses from brands we really liked this year. And joining me this year to talk about it, we've got Ian Zelaya, who covers uh, performance marketing, experiential marketing for Adweek. Ian, it is always great to have you here. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've also got Katie Lundstrom. Katie is a reporter who covers uh, breaking news and quite often uh, big creative campaigns that are coming out. Katie, it is always a pleasure to have you joining us from, you're in Austin? Yep. Austin, Texas. I'm glad to be here. And uh, we've also got Jameson Fleming, a senior editor for membership here at Adweek. Uh, Jameson has, uh, he is involved in just about everything uh, here at Adweek. And so I can't think of someone better to have kind of a big picture over overview and opinions on a lot of the biggest work that came out of the year. Jameson, thanks so much for making time for us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited to really digest a very weird year of advertising. Really was, and I have to say, of all the years I've been doing this, every year the ads, uh, determining the ads of the year is difficult. Um, just, uh, I'll go ahead and give the the kind of spoiler alert in the sense that uh, Adweek's 25 ads of the year, uh, including our number one pick, are all on adweek.com uh, as of Monday. Uh, so if you're listening to this uh, probably Monday or, or later, you should be able to find that on adweek.com. This year we also did a reader's choice uh, bracket for the first time where we let uh, we identified 32 of the biggest campaigns of the year uh, and uh, again ads and weird social responses and some even some political fundraisers and uh, people really went nuts with it um, Jameson I don't know about you and I have both been watching Adweek stuff for a long time the engagement level of this reader's choice voting online was bananas yeah, I mean, the, the semifinals between Oreos and Steakum got 72,000 votes just on Twitter. And I don't think I've ever seen any Twitter poll by any Twitter user get 72,000 votes. So kind of crazy what two brands with loyal followings can do on Twitter, to say the least. Yeah, and that one was a crazy matchup. It was uh, Oreo created a doomsday vault when, among many other doomsday scenarios happening this year, uh, there was an asteroid supposedly headed toward Earth. And so Oreo created an underground bunker to save its recipes and uh, other things. So um, that was up against Steakum's campaign on social media against misinformation, uh, which was a very different uh, kind of uh, form of marketing. Uh, but their followings turned out in force. 72,000 votes later, Oreo was the winner. Only, I will say, by promising to follow back people who voted 
<laughs> which I think, and then and then had a real struggle to follow through on their campaign promise. <laughs> so uh, as we record this, we are in the final round, uh, which is Oreo's Doomsday Vault versus uh, the Princess Bride reunion, uh, which was a fundraiser for Wisconsin Democrats. Really brilliant idea. They brought together just almost every uh, living um actor and uh, person behind uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, Fred Savage couldn't make it because it was his brother's birthday and he was spending it with him, but uh, everyone else pretty much who's alive was there. And uh, it was a really fantastic idea. So we won't know the winner when we record this because those are being battled out over the weekend, but we will be able to talk about our favorites. So with that... Katie, uh, we're we're just going to like go round robin here. We're going to talk about each of us has individual favorites. Uh, we I am happy to talk about Adweek's official favorites, uh, but let's start out just on an individual level. Katie, uh, tell us about one or two that you really love this year. Yeah, so I was thinking about this and just kind of thinking back to the ones that I shared with my own friends and family this year. Um, that are, you know, there's some overlap and some that are just kind of silly. Oreos, I know we already shouted out Oreos Doomsday um, campaign, but their Proud Parent um, short film that they released a couple months ago was one that I just thought was really powerful. And I ended up sharing with it with a bunch of different people um, just because I thought it was a beautiful little short film. And the story behind it was that the two actors who play a gay couple um, are actually partners in real life. And it really came through and I thought was just like a lovely example of storytelling. Um, And then to shout out the Midwest, um, the Canadian beer brand Labatt made (laughs) some ads in that came out in the summer, but it was like a They had to completely reshoot their campaign like so many brands had to this year after creating a summer campaign that was not pandemic friendly and then having to totally, you know, start from scratch. And theirs was one of the one of the first stories like this um, that I covered um, in a more like in-depth way. They literally got back from their shoot for their summer campaign on the same day that Trump announced um, a national emergency and then they that these two um creatives just like created these like really funny ads from within within their own homes using like a power washer to simulate tubing and using a spray bottle and a little treadmill to simulate like wakeboarding so um it's kind of a funny way to pretend like these Midwesterners were at the out at the lake um, having a good time when um, that wasn't actually possible the summer over the summer. So those were a couple of them. I know. Did you see that one, Griner? No, no, I, I I didn't catch that one. It's it was by the Burns Group, and it's a pretty small like regional brand. But I just thought it was such an interesting um, pivot uh, to use the word of the year. Um, well. It, yeah, and and speaking of pivots, I feel like no one's beat was more like intensely pivot centric than Ian's. Uh, Ian's been covering experiential marketing for us, and uh, this year uh, the the entire concept of experiential marketing, which was largely built around activations where you get people together and tell them to touch things. <laughs> 
They did not did not uh, transition well into the year of the pandemic. Ian, tell us about some of your favorites that really did make this transition and still kind of kept the the vibe of experiential marketing going. Yeah. Wow. Um, what a year. Because <laughs> I've been at Adwe for a little over a year now. And so when I started, experiential marketing was my expertise. And then come March, uh, my expertise became how do brands adapt when meeting up in person isn't safe anymore. Um, and it's been interesting and somewhat inspiring too, just to see like how creative brands can get. Um, and I think the first one I want to mention is HBO Max's uh, recent uh, event promotion for the show, The Flight Attendant. I don't know if any of you have seen that show. Um, I haven't watched it yet. It's good. It's like a comedic thriller with uh, starring Kaylee Cuoco, who plays the flight attendant. Um, but it involves a murder. It involves a lot of, so far, it hasn't ended yet. I think there's two more episodes they're going to release. But a lot of like plot twists. Um, but basically, to sort of build buzz around it, they invited influencers, press, some fans to these three uh, virtual coffee-making classes. So they build these classes held on... Uh, it's a video conferencing platform called Blue Jeans. so similar to Zoom. Um, obviously, we've all been sort of fatigued by these uh, meetings on these video platforms, so they decided to put a little twist into that. So all of the attendees thought they were just going to be learning how to make different coffee drinks based on locations in the show because the show is very international. So like um, an Italian cappuccino and a drink from South Korea. So that's what everyone thought they were getting into. So they were sent these coffee kits um, and they were basically being taught by this barista who was actually also an actor. And he was filming this live session from a studio. Um, HBO Max partnered with Tool of North America, this production agency, to also hire some other actors to participate in this virtually. So everyone is taking this coffee class. And then all of a sudden, the barista just gets kidnapped by this uh, actress who like comes behind him out of nowhere. Some of the other people on screen get kidnapped. And their goal was basically to confuse people and essentially, like, it was their way of, I guess, transporting them digitally into the world of the show, which is a lot about, like, the themes and aesthetic is, like, very suspenseful. Um, so it was essentially just this surprise and delight experience. Um, and I thought it was a good example of, like, what you can actually do with this a video platform that, you know, you wouldn't think of. Because a lot of these events that I've seen for the past nine months have just been participatory but you kind of just follow along to a certain tutorial and I think they found a fun way to put some theatrics into it all um oh, I love that yeah I love that yeah. What, what what what's another that uh that stuck out to you yeah so I I'd be remiss to not mention um a drive-in experience I feel like in the fall <laughs> brands and agencies finally started to realize the safest way to meet up in person right now is through these driving experiences. So there were a lot of brands that held them, mainly in California, I think just because it's easier to do that there. I don't think you would see one in New York City. Um, well, and, <laughs> and someone also pointed out to me when I asked, like, why are all these in L.A.? Like, right? Like, everything we wrote about was in yeah. L.A. And, and then someone pointed out, like, it's the award shows. 
it's basically like the entertainment industry is in 24, 24 7, 365 award show for your consideration marketing. Mm-hmm. And if they're not out there doing, you know, stuff for HBO, doing stuff for all these, uh, you know, big new shows and big whatever, that that's that's how they get the jurors to notice. Yeah. And that's how they get all these different Emmy, everybody, you know, across the board. And I was like, I felt dumb that I'd been covering advertising for like 14 years and I'd never realized that. That that's why you see a million of these entertainment campaigns specific to LA. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, for sure. That. No, yeah. And so what I was actually going to mention, this was a food event, which I think on top of it all, like that adds another level of how do you make this safe? Um, so the one that I covered, it was back in October, um, Resi, the reservation platform, they tapped 10 local chefs in LA to create dishes for this tasting experience. And basically um, guests had to reserve a time slot. And when they showed up, they had to obviously stay in their car. They had um, a designated server. Um, so he would like retrieve the meals from the chefs um, and this is all outside, obviously. Um, I think it was at the Hollywood Palladium. Um, so this big outdoor venue, um, they would serve the meals on these trays. So it was all contactless. And I think the um, the kicker here that made it really interesting is that Resi had notified guests in advance um, that they created this audio experience. So you could download it. And as you uh, were enjoying each dish, you could hear like commentary about the dish from each chef. And then you'd also hear music that you normally hear in the restaurants. Um, so I thought that was like a, uh, an interesting way to sort of bring the restaurant into their cars. Um, and now that you mention it too, just about being in Hollywood, I think like Tyra Banks was there and Jesse Tyler Ferguson was there. So they had some celebrity showings too. All right. Uh, Jameson, I feel like you and I tend to generally kind of overlap. I think both of us just appreciate some good ad ass ads, you know, just like who actually pulled off a really great, somewhat traditional ad, but in a in a new way. What tell us uh, two of your favorites from this year? Yeah, I've got a mix mix of both of the of that, and also I'm all about results. So, I mean, like a lot of Burger King stunts are really fantastic. They're cool. They get headlines, but at the end of the day, McDonald's and Travis Scott to me was the best marketing stunt of the year. I mean, they literally sold out of hamburgers in restaurants across the country because this thing was so popular. Uh, and so, I mean, Travis Scott is like a up-and-coming marketing superstar when it comes to partnerships with brands. So I, mean, I think it just really embodies like what you should be doing in this day and age if you're you know, a big, massive brand and you don't need to uh, you know, drive sales of the product and it's you know, a brand awareness thing. Uh, so, I mean, I think the Travis Scott meal was, was pretty brilliant on, on their end. Um, another one that I liked is kind of what you just mentioned of just loving a good ad. And that's the Groundhog Day ad from Jeep and High Dive for the Super Bowl. And they got Bill Frickin' Murray to be in a Super Bowl ad. Nobody does that. And the story was good. It was just the perfect way to bring him back and bring that franchise back to life uh, you know, and really advertising's biggest stage. I mean, it's hard to pull off a great ad with a great celebrity in the Super Bowl, and they nailed it. Yeah, I feel like Groundhog Day, the thing that's underappreciated about it, or maybe, I don't know about underappreciated, but just something that's that's an interesting to me, is that it checks so many boxes in the sense of it's an ad that ad people love. It's a celebrity ad, but it's actually good. Uh, it's a Super Bowl ad, but it's actually good. Uh, and, you know, it was true to the source material. We've seen a lot of, like, 
nostalgia in the last few years, not that we haven't always, but especially in the last few years, we're seeing a lot of nostalgia for the 80s, a lot of nostalgia for the early 90s, and especially in difficult times, right? Like people lean on nostalgia. But Groundhog Day did it in a way where you're like, this just feels like a loving homage to the to the source material versus like, we're going to make a bunch of references to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Please, like, advertising. Let's let Ferris Bueller go. Let's just let him go. Like, it's... There, there was one really good feel, Ferris Bueller ad this year. I think Katie actually wrote about it, and it was uh, it was a uh, garage door opener brand. I'm drawing a blank on who it was. Yeah, Lyft, Liftmaster, right, Katie? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was Liftmaster. Uh, and they brought back, I think it was Cameron, and he's you know looking at his camera to into his garage where he catches his son about to steal his car. And I thought that was a you know a really smart way to bring that movie back to life in a way that felt really authentic. Yeah, it was cute. It wasn't my favorite, but it, it was cute. Yeah, I'd say in the in the weird sub niche of Ferris Bueller ads, it's <laughs> it's one of my preferred ones. But I'm just like I just I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think. It may have something to do that with advertising still largely made up of like white men who grew up watching movies in the 80s and I think are still really hung up, as did I. I am a white man who grew up watching, but, you know, I think we can let some of that go. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give a few without necessarily revealing our number one just yet. Uh, I did want to obviously talk about Match Made in Hell. Uh, this was the latest edition because uh, this came out. It wasn't even a holiday ad. It was really an end-of-year ad from Match. Uh, of which one of their investors is Ryan Reynolds. And so his uh, his uh, Maximum Effort production studio or content studio that does uh, all the Aviation Gen ads and Mint Mobile, they created uh, really a fantastic uh, ad about uh, Satan and 2020 meeting on Match.com and uh, falling in love. And uh, it's it, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to audio because it's really just uh, that Taylor Swift song about... Mary Me Juliet, um, which I think she even like, did she like remaster that? That ended up being a big deal. Yeah, she kind yeah. Of... that was one of her re-recordings, which I guess she hasn't released any of them officially yet. But... Yeah, but yeah, that song's everywhere on TikTok, so it was kind of fun to have a re-recorded version of it uh, for for that. Uh, so you will not see, uh, literally, see Ryan Reynolds in our top twenty-five ads of the year. Uh, you also didn't see him last year. Uh, he because he wasn't in the Peloton ad. I, I think maybe he voiced it. Um, but I think it just goes to show we talk about Ryan Reynolds a lot. To Jameson's point, uh, it, you won't see Ryan Reynolds in the in these top twenty-five, but you will see Travis Scott in our top ten twice. <laughs> So, you know, advertising people talk a lot about Ryan, but I really think Travis Scott is the far more like really impactful. Um, I'll just really quickly say his uh, his concert for Astronomical with Fortnite within Fortnite outperformed, like had more views than the official video of the song. I mean, it's just a, a staggering amount of visibility around this partnership with Fortnite, the idea of putting on a concert within the game. Uh, you you know, Fortnite was such a huge presence this year, but it just goes to show, uh, to Jameson's point, Travis Scott really understands uh, the kind of the modern consumer landscape in a way that I think a lot do not. I believe we named uh, the Astronomical Partnership number eight on our list, uh, and the Travis Scott meal uh, came in around 10. Um, but uh, one other one I, I just want to debate, throw it out there, because it's definitely the most debated ad of the year is Moldy Whopper. Multi Whopper's not our number one ad of the year, and I think that might surprise some people, and I think that might make some people happy. Um, 
we certainly had the most debate about it. It won every award you can win in advertising in 2020. Uh, there was no Cannes Lions this year. If there were, it would have won a Grand Prix at Cannes. I, I feel certain. It won a black pencil, which is even harder to win, uh, at the DNAD Awards. It won pretty much everything at the one show. Uh, that said, um, Moldy Whopper, if you don't remember, was when Burger King uh, created moldy versions of its own Whoppers to highlight. Uh, they're really beautiful. It was made by Ingo and David and I believe like publicists in geez, Bulgaria or someplace, uh, some, a, a publicist's office. Um and it's a fascinating idea. Like, they were showing that they don't use uh, preservatives, and therefore the Whopper will get moldy and rot, um, and they were highlighting their freshness of their ingredients. Consumers didn't necessarily love it. Uh, advertising people did. Uh, I think the most interesting criticism I heard of that is that if you put a Whopper, just leave it sitting out, it will not mold. Um, and that's not an offense on anything Burger King does. That's just the fact that if you just leave something sitting out, it's just gonna it's just gonna get hard and gross. Uh, you have to meticulously like keep it wet uh, to get it covered in mold the way the ads did. So it's not even technically an accurate ad, right? Like they really had to force mold to grow on this. <laughs> it's like they had to go out of their way to force their product to look extra disgusting. Um, I thought it was a cool idea. Uh, but that said, I thought the industry kind of got up its own ass about this one. Um, and again, going Jameson makes a lot of good points because, uh, as he mentioned, uh, I don't think this thing sold Whoppers. Like, did it help elevate uh, Burger King's commitment uh, to, you know, natural ingredients? Yeah, um, but it was... Uh, so we ranked it very high, uh, but it is not our ad of the year. Uh, any Anybody have any strong thoughts one way or the other about Moldy Whopper? It just doesn't make me want to go buy a Whopper. Same. It just really doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I applaud them for doing, you know, something that's kind of fearless. I mean, they made their product look terrible in an effort to do something positive. It's really tough to convince uh, brand executives to do that. But, you know, Fernando Marchado is all about doing those kinds of things. So for Burger King, it was an easy decision probably, but... I don't know. Again, to your point, I think it was more to uh, impress the agency and marketing worlds as opposed to actually impress consumers. It got a lot of attention by the media, but I think the data they shared wasn't that convincing that it was successful. Well, let's uh, let's real quickly just uh, I think we have time for each of us to talk about one more and I will reveal our number one pick. Uh, Ian, you, you want to or actually, I guess it's Katie's turn. We start with Katie. Uh, Katie, hit us with one more. Yeah, um, the other one I wanted to shout out was the Womb Stories ad from Essity, um, and it's AMV BBDO London, right? That does those. Yep. Yeah, so I, it's like the third installment of these um, really like taboo breaking ads that Essity has been making, um, just around the experience of having a female body, I guess, um, and I think they're. This one was really interesting and different. Um, I wrote a little bit about their first two, um, the Viva La Vulva. I guess there was some prayer to that too, but I, about Viva La Vulva and um, Blood Normal. And this one was like a bit more intense and like broad, I guess. Like it's it sweeps across like this whole experience of having a uterus and like 
how it impacts your life in so many different ways. There's some like really tragic moments in the ad and just like such a variety of um, illustration and storytelling within it that I just, I thought it was really beautiful, really intense, um, but I thought it was worth a, a shout out for sure because it's just a really incredible piece of work. Yeah, I mean, someone asked on Twitter the other day, what do you think is a piece of advertising that has changed the world over the last few decades? And the first one I always think of is Blood Normal. Mm -hmm. uh, Blood Normal was a few years ago from Essity, which uh, for Americans who don't know, Essity's parent company of Body Form and Labress and a few others, but they own a few brands in America, but really not not any that most folks have heard of, um, but a very big deal uh, globally. And Blood Normal just basically tried to normalize and destigmatize the way we talk about and show periods uh, and to actually show blood and not just blue liquid, um, among many other things. So I really think it's one of the most impactful campaigns uh, I've seen in my time covering this. And uh, it's great to see how they've continued that with uh, with Viva La Volva last year and then with... Um, uh, with uh, womb stories this year. That's a great pick. Uh, Ian, hit us with one more. Yeah, so I feel like an obvious choice for brands this year was to bring their activations to Instagram. Um, and I think the one that did it uh, the best in terms of what I saw was Audible. Um, and it was kind of perfect timing because this happened around in July when Comic-Con was supposed to take place. But um, they released an audio adaptation of Neil Gaiman's uh, the Sandman, the graphic novel series. Um, and so to promote that, they essentially made this um, digital gallery on Instagram and they asked fans to submit their actual dreams. Um, so kind of tying into themes of the novel, fans could either submit it on this custom website or they could actually call this hotline that was narrated by uh, Neil himself. Um, and they would select, like, I guess what they deem the most interesting dreams and then they had actual uh, DC comic illustrators draw them then they uploaded them on Instagram with audio snippets from the new audio series so um, I just thought it was really well done yeah well, that's a great one uh, Jameson uh, last one you want to shout out yeah I mean I really like the DoorDash open for a delivery from the Martin Agency or US Agency of the Year I just you know it was a great great uh idea you know they banded together they supported all the other food delivery apps uber eats postmates grubhub caviar and they encouraged all the restaurants out there to be visible that they were open for delivery they cut delivery fees to independent restaurants they they did a lot to support the restaurant community and you know it, it probably helped a lot of places stay in business this campaign uh so i mean i, I think that's that's something very admirable and, and uh, you know, shared very widely across social media, especially Twitter. So, you know, I, I got to go with, with DoorDash as uh, open for delivery. Uh, that's a great one. And on our list, uh, that, that one tied, some might argue intentionally on our part, uh, with the order from McDonald's campaign that Burger King ran in the UK and in France, which was basically an ad telling people, or the headline was order from McDonald's and it's like, and from this place and from this place, you know, basically saying order from everywhere because they all need your help and they all need your support. And we want to keep the, the, you know, restaurant employees uh, employed. So just, I, we all love seeing that. That's just such a great, such a great thing. And for all the talk around Moldy Whopper, I think honestly, that's probably one of the best things Burger King did this year uh, was order from McDonald's. Um, 
we are almost out of time, so I will go ahead and reveal uh, our top two ads. Uh, number two is You Love Me from Beats, uh, the agency, I believe, was translation. Uh, speech by Dre. Uh, let's just listen to a little bit of it because I think it is one of the most, I think it is arguably maybe the most important ad of the year. Uh, it is an ad about how uh, black people tend to be celebrated, uh, icons tend to be celebrated, uh, but not, but then when it comes to how America, how other parts of the world treat black individuals, treat black people is very different from the way they celebrate their cultural uh, additions. So you may love a black athlete or black musician, but when they start to talk politics, a lot of white folks say, oh, just, you know, keep it, just talk sports. Um, and this ad just conveyed that so perfectly. Let's listen to a little bit of this. All men are created equal. <laughs> That's my favorite part. You hate us so deeply, but you're still so impressed. Why can't you see? There's history in our skin. You built this country on our backs. I'm him. He's me. She. Us. We. Are all black. Black. That is uh, You Love Me uh, for Beats by Dre, our number two ad of the year. Number one, after quite a bit of deliberation, is You Can't Stop Us uh, from Nike for from Wyden and Kennedy Portland. You may remember this as the split screen ad. That's the ad where they took uh, tons of footage, most of it archival, they, uh, some a custom shot, but you really can't tell which. And they just split the screen and they showed uh, kind of the new reality of how we think of sports versus how sports were played uh, and how athletics was changed by uh, quarantine. It is the most masterful feat of production I've ever seen in my life. Um, And that started with the creative planning. Uh, But when I say it's a split screen ad, if you have not seen You Can't Stop Us, you need to watch it. It is, I I mean, it's a thousand hours of compositing to make this thing happen. Uh, which is just a staggering number to think about. Um, but the agency really credits the the creative planners who who really worked on this. Uh, that it, it the editing obviously was gigantic, uh, but they they really shouted out uh, the creatives who worked on this and you know really planned it out because you can't just dive into something like that. Uh, it is an important ad. It's an ad about 2020. It's an ad that you can't make any other year. Uh, maybe that technique. Uh, but not that message. You know, it is a message of unity. It's a message of uh, athletics and the greater world enduring. And it just contrasted what we think of as, my, you know, real life versus what 2020 was. Um, and uh, voiced by Megan Rapino, uh, it is, it's just, it is a phenomenal accomplishment by Wyden and Kennedy in a, in a rough year for Wyden. You know, they, this first year, they were not our agency of the year in uh, four years. And, uh, you know, they had 11% global layoffs. So it was a tough time for them, but I think they have very well earned uh, this spot at number one on Adweek's Ads of the Year. So congratulations to Wyden Kennedy. Congratulations to Nike and to everyone on our list. Uh, be sure to check out adweek.com so you can see the top 25 ads of 2020. And let us know uh, what were your favorites. We're at podcast at adweek.com, podcast at adweek.com. Thanks to each of you, to Jameson, Katie, Ian. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, 
the uh, yeah, so definitely we're gonna have a lot of other year in wrap up. So check out Awe.com for all sorts of stuff and tons of outlooks for 2020. We have so much content going up; it's it's a little uh, bonkers, but uh, a lot of good stuff on the site. So be sure to check it out. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was produced by me, David Greiner, and edited by Lane McGibney. Uh, if you've not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.